Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Lane Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today is on a mission and an admirable one too. He's the chairman of an organization that aims to change what is used in our energy system to meet some of the pressing sustainability targets. We continue our new automotive series on Heads Talk today with a conversation about the benefits of green hydrogen. Patrick Huber, appointed in January 2021, is the chairman of H2 Energy Holding AG, a company that consists of experienced entrepreneurs and proven experts in the field of hydrogen technology and solutions. Patrick is an accomplished business innovator for renewables, and his goal is to stop climate change in its track and make hydrogen and fuel cell technology a pillar of our energy system. He joined H2 Energy in 2017 and was named Group CEO in 2018. Since his involvement in the company, H2 Energy has established various joint ventures with different industry leaders such as Nell ASA, Hyundai Motors, Linde Alpique and others. Patrick has also been elected as a board member of Hydrogen Europe. Finally, he has a background in financial service industry, having worked in various cities around Europe. Let's get to it now. We're going to talk about the scalability and commercial viability of hydrogen solutions. And we may touch upon the other main CO2 neutral solutions, such as EV technology. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Patrick to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much, Elaine, for the introduction. It's a privilege being with you. I've been following your podcast for quite some time, and I'm, I'm very impressed by the format that you have developed. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. And I've been looking forward to this long-awaited conversation with you. Um, I've been quite keen to talk with you, Patrick, and to get some real insights and valuable data in this minefield right now with, with regards to hydrogen green solutions. I think it would be good to start with you telling my listeners a bit about H2 Energy Holding. I, I will share a link um, to your organization in the episode description, but for now, what are you pioneering in terms of hydrogen technology? What exactly is it that you do? And afterwards, if you can tell us about some of the, your partnerships, e.g. with the Hyundai Motors company that I mentioned earlier. What are you doing together? Yes, thank you very much. Happy to talk about it. So H2 Energy um, was founded in 2014 and with the goal to actually fight climate change, stop climate change and establish hydrogen as a pillar of the um, energy system. Mm-hmm. We are privately held that, um, to 85%, so, so all the owners are within the companies, contributing to the company, and we are active in four different fields. We provide engineering work for power-to-gas plants, we provide solution for the storage and, and, and distribution or dispension of hydrogen, and, and we develop application which are based on fuel cell technology and green hydrogen. But I think what mostly distinguishes us is the fourth division, which develops ecosystems. Because on, on hydrogen, you will always be faced with the trouble or the problem that you have to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike battery electric solution, there's nothing you can um, 
you can start with by just plugging in. You need to develop the production of hydrogen. You need to develop the, the storage dispensation of hydrogen and you need to have an application. That's why we actually want to cover all those aspects and, and develop ecosystems, um, which, which includes all those, those components. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you know, your partnerships, for example, that yeah. you, you've entered. Could you just tell us a little bit about the Hyundai Motor Company or any partnerships that you'd like to talk about? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I need to start with the fact that we actually rolled out the first ecosystem on, on fuel cell trucks in, in 2016. But this was more um, a concept with COPE uh, for a proof of concept. And and what we found out there was that the technology was was developed sufficiently to roll it out. We we found that there was a large demand for for a carbon neutral uh, transporting, and we also had some information on on the financials how how it all turns out for the operator in terms of costs in terms of allocated costs, and and so when we when we got the financials together, we realized that we actually can offer fuel cell trucks in Switzerland at parity to to the diesel trucks mm. so what we but we didn't have a way how to scale it up uh, because we, we we couldn't just start building fuel cell trucks in switzerland um, which doesn't offer a very good platform for for manufacturing um, or industries mm -hmm. so we were looking for partners how we can scale up the the truck production and we we went to all uh, the OEMs in the world, um, from north to south, east, west, we knocked on all their doors. And, and finally, with Hyundai, um, we found a partner which, which was, was intrigued by what we had achieved with our small ecosystem around the Coop truck, and who also had yeah, the ability to, um, to provide us with a state-of-the-art fuel cells. Uh, the technology is, is, is quite old, uh, but, but few companies actually own the technology to an extent that you can really scale it up um, going forward. And Hyundai is one of those few technologies. So what we wanted to do is, is actually use the trucks from Hyundai to build up an ecosystem and provide a sufficient amount of offtake of hydrogen that, that we can establish an infrastructure around this, which can then be used in, in other aspects as well, such as uh, shipping, ammonia production, or even mm. in uh, industrial use of, of green hydrogen. So therefore, it was um, it was very critical partnership for us uh, to start an ecosystem as a basis for more to come. Oh, well, congratulations on that partnership. That's definitely not a small achievement. And sticking with fuel cell um, technology, today the spotlight is on it. Um, though it's been around forever and a day, are you surprised that it's only now in the last, what, five to ten years that we are actually doing something about its use and benefit for green mobility. Why has it taken this long? What were the factors that hindered its earlier adoption? Yes, indeed. Um, it has been around for almost 180 years, and and it's a it's um, it's interesting why it has not developed any further or scaled up any further. And I believe there are two ways how you can explain uh, that matter. Uh, one of them is quite a technical way. It um, the concept was known for a long time, but the concept was not fully understood, and and the fuel cell process could not entirely. Uh, be observed before the nanotechnology enabled you to do so. So with the nanotechnology, was, which was developed, 
developed in, in the late 20s, you actually find a way to fully understand what's going on in, 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 in the fuel cell. And that was necessary to in, increase the stability of the fuel cell and reduce the um, the degradation of a few cells. So I think this is one point which is extremely important. And, and as a function of this point, ways could be found that the fuel cell could be produced in a, in a, in a more a commercial viable way. You could reduce uh, the amount of platinum that's been used as, as a catalyst. And, and consequently, all of a sudden, uh, there was, um, it was sufficient uh, price level, which enabled you to actually build applications uh, around this. So that's that's one part of the story, which I believe is is fundamental in why the fuel cell technology has not evolved uh, sooner. And the second part is 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 the the energy transition, and the energy transition was actually a basis why H two energy had been found founded, because when we did the calculation, we realized that you cannot decarbonize entirely. Un unless you include hydrogen in one or the other way. There's different technology that you need to include. And I believe there's enough room for more than one technology to solve um, the, the decarbonization. Mm -hmm. um, but, it's, but due to the high uh, energy capacity of, of hydrogen, uh, it's absolutely essential to be included in whatever form, whether that is 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 hydrogen for um, for the coal combustion for the fuel cell, or whether that is hydrogen to provide e-fuels or, or ammonia or other energy carriers. And I believe the talks in, in the last few years, um, they are steered very much towards um, internalization of, of external costs. And, and if you can internalize those, those externalities, actually the cost discussion is changing dramatically because then all of a sudden you find out that, that hydrogen is not more expensive than others because, but, but so far it's, it's benefit is, is not being recognized because a lot of, of energy carriers are not being charged for the external cost. And with this discussion, actually gave a whole new momentum to, to the hydrogen developments. Oh, interesting. Thank you for that. That sounds pretty comprehensive. I always thought there was a cost implication why we, we have had to wait, as you put it, 180 <laughs> years for its development. I knew there was something around the cost, especially with the use of platinum. Um, incidentally, the, the, the terminology um, that you use, green hydrogen, uh, that's been banded about a bit. For, for my listeners, elaborate on the difference between green hydrogen and perhaps the not so green and efficient hydrogen is it something to do with how it's produced yes absolutely hydrogen comes in the, in in different colors and we generally speak about uh, green gray blue and turquoise hydrogen now green hydrogen is hydrogen being produced through the electrolysis process with uh, exclusively renewable um sources. Mm -hmm. Grey hydrogen, on the other, other hand, is a steam reforming process where you use um, oil or, or methane and, and you create CO2 and you create H2. That's uh, so far the cheapest way, but obviously it has a CO2 footprint. Mm -hmm. The blue hydrogen as the third one is a steam reforming process, just like the grey hydrogen, but, but instead of leaving the CO2 into the air, you capture it and you store it, which makes it a low, car low carbon 
hydrogen production site. And the fourth less known hydrogen is the turquoise, which is being produced through a process which, call, which is called pyrolysis. And that process generally segregates the C uh, from, from the H. And if you have the pure C, you can take that out of the system without making, uh, creating any CO2 or any uh, carbon footprint in, in the atmosphere. Hmm, interesting. Thank you for that. I, I'd never heard of the turquoise hydrogen. Um, so that, I'll probably do more offline investigation on that. That sounds very interesting. Um, let's it's, um, the turquoise hydrogen is the, the technology for the turquoise hydrogen has so far not been fully developed and, and proven. So, so theoretically, it's aware, but it would be a very beautiful um, uh, technology because you could actually include current large energy company in that process mm -hmm. because they have the ability to actually source large uh, amounts of, of methane and then create a hydrogen which is low carbon all right okay thank you for that thank you for that okay let's look at some developments um in your space and have you got any projects that you're working on that you'd like to talk to my listeners about. Um, you know, you've talked about the, the relationship and the partnership with Hyundai, but let's talk about projects. Are you working with, for example, the aviation sector on matters such as um, the development of fuel cell power planes? Yes, we work in, in all in all sectors. So when we develop application, I've mentioned that we uh, we developed the first fuel truck ourselves, uh, but we also have developed powertrains for for ship uh, boats, for for trains, and for basically all transport on land and sea. But we have also uh, been involved in 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 stationary applications such as off grid power supply or or emergency power supply where you use fuel cell and 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 green hydrogen to provide this electricity. We have not been involved directly in the aviation business. There is large projects going on by Airbus, which is supposed to, um, to show the first result in, in, in 2027. Mm -hmm. um, but this has not been um, a field that, that we had any activities in, in the past uh, directly in terms mm -hmm. of a mandate. Um, so we do have the biggest attention um, currently on, on the Hyundai projects where we have rolled out uh, 46 trucks in Switzerland over the last 10 months we, with those trucks, we have driven more than one and a half million miles, uh, kilometers and, and actually solved the 1,500 uh, tons of CO2 so far. Uh, this, this, this project has received a lot of attention, but we are currently very strongly working on scaling up that, uh, that ecosystem throughout Europe and, and roll out the trucks to other countries. What we have announced last week was uh, that we will be investing in a one gigawatt um, green hydrogen production site in Denmark. We'll actually build that hydrogen production site in Esbjerg and that hydrogen would be sufficient to power up to 20,000 uh, trucks, but it can also be used for the production of, of ammonia or in the refinery process. And so the infrastructure is really what we are having the biggest focus on right now and, and finding the right partners, uh, finding uh, partners for the ecosystem, uh, which provide offtake and, and, and find better ways to store and transport and dispense hydrogen to all kinds of applications. All right. Okay. And, and 
what is the Swiss government's funding plans um, for the green hydrogen economy and how are you working with them? So Switzerland, it needs to be known that Switzerland is traditionally um, not a great subsidy country. Uh, Switzerland does is very innovative um, when when it comes to financing innovation. But once a technology has reached has reached a state of commercialization, um, Switzerland rather uses the tool of of steering tax than than subsidies um, to support that new technology. Mm-hmm. And and the same is with regards to hydrogen. Switzerland has some some hydrogen plants, but they've been held very, very vague. But what Switzerland has, it's, it's, it has the absolute willingness to actually internalize external costs to the originator. And one of the examples is the heavy duty tax in Switzerland, which is an emission tax mm-hmm. where Switzerland says, if you emit um, CO2, NOx or noise, we want you to pay for this. And if you emit less, we want you to pay less for this. And actually because of this heavy duty tax and due to the fact that the externalities of, of, of um, fuel cell trucks, for example, mm-hmm. are, are much lower than the one from traditional um, yes, diesel yes. trucks, um, we have a cost advantage. And, and that, that actually enabled Switzerland that we can offer fuel cell technology um, at large scale at identical costs to, to the diesel trucks. But, in, but, but Switzerland has not stated uh, clear targets in terms of how many gigawatt pr- production sites they, they, they want to have, nor have they um, disclosed uh, a subsidy schemes. Okay, but um, this is a big undertaking and surely having this done purely in the private sector alone, it cannot be done. It has to have some elements of governmental funds. Green taxes alone surely can't be sufficient. I I don't think that actually subsidies or grants are necessary to roll out um, uh, green hydrogen projects and 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 fuel cell um, appli- application, because if you allocate the externalities, you're going to be able to find a business case without subsidies. And if you have a business case without subsidies, it means that your project is going to be bankable. And the bankability of of a product or or a project has a much wider scale than, than, than subsidies can ever offer. I mean, right now we talk in Europe about 470 billion of subsidies, which is gonna flow into the hydrogen space, which is an enormous amount of money and, and should achieve uh, quite a bit in those developments. But nevertheless, if you compare that amount to what's been traded and what's been actually funded in, in, in the economy outside government supported project, this is, this is a rather small amount. So, so Switzerland believes that it's better making um, products uh, bankable and, and profitable uh, rather than than financing um, the development of those new products, and I agree that that the bankability of of a solution is an extremely powerful um, tool to scale that solution up. Okay, okay, okay. You've convinced me. Let, let's briefly <laughs> talk. Let's briefly talk about um, battery electric versus green hydrogen. A simple request. Um, can you just do a comparison between the two and perhaps talk about how? They can possibly work together. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and actually, the discussion point about comparison at battery electric versus fuel cell electric mm-hmm. has changed a bit over the last, over the last few months or, or years. First of all, it needs to be stated that no technology is better than another technology. The discussion about this is about as useful as discussing whether a hammer is, might, might be more useful than a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need a hammer and sometimes you have a screw and you're better off with a screwdriver. So I don't think that any technology is superior to another te- technology. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> but there are situations where one technology offers a better solution than the other one. And w- when you compare battery electric versus um, hydrogen, what you can say is that the, the graphimetric energy content, meaning the, the, the energy you can store per kilogram, is much higher using using hydrogen than using a battery. On the other hand, the efficiency, meaning how much energy do you have to put in and how much energy do you want to get out once you need it, is, 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 is better with a, with a battery electric solution. Mm-hmm. So what you conclude from this is that you, if you have to move large weights or if you have to drive large distances, you're better off using a hydrogen solution. If you <clears throat> use a small amounts of energy, um, you're better off with a battery uh, electric solution. Uh, Therefore, I believe we're most likely not going to be flying to the moon using a battery uh, space ship. Uh, But on the other hand, I don't see myself brushing my teeth in the morning with a fuel cell powered toothbrush uh, (laughs) anywhere near. So every technology has its justification. And and I think a a very beautiful example is has a battery inside. The battery is being used for the recuperation of energy and it's being used to source uh, peak performance. Um, um, and, to, it, and it's been used to source energy for, for the peak performance. So the question is how big is the battery and how big is, is, is the fuel cell? And, and the answer to the question is a very simple optimization process. And I believe every, every, every application when you decide which technology you want to use has a similar optimization question and mm-hmm. and and therefore we need to we need to be aware that we need more than technology to to fight um, climate yes. change yeah. and and we are very happy if, if the technology around battery evolves we don't see this as a competitor we just see it that for some solution um, it's better and for other solution um, hydrogen is is more of you of better use so the conclusion is we everybody needs a hammer and a screwdriver and you really can't compare the two can you (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, (laughs) i like that one okay (laughs) well you could also use you could also use the discussion whether white chocolate is better than brown chocolate yes (laughs) you know some people want to have white chocolate and some people want to prefer brown chocolate both is important (laughs) but some of them both some of them both it's perfectly fine yes yeah okay now now this question um you did indicate in earlier conversations that you will not provide a number, but I'm going to push you on a guesstimate for this one. What's your prediction? Educated guess, even uh, gut feeling or careful assessment on the next topic. How many years will it take to scale up access to hydrogen to the level or other of other options? Um, for example, the biodiesel, ethanol, etc. Yeah, I think. It's 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 a very good question, and and actually, 
now listening to you, I'm asking myself, how many years has hydrogen got to provide a solution? Because hydrogen right now is at the level of commercialization and it has a window where it can be established as a technology um, of broad use. Uh, but, the, but this window won't be open for 20 years because at one point in time, people said if it, if it didn't work by now, it might not be the solution we need. Uh, I, I think that window is, is in the next five years. Okay. And I'm convinced that in the next five years, we're going to have a, a scalable ecosystem around. And the reason for this is simply because the technology is on its start of commercialization. It's, it's proven and it has evolved substantially over the last few years. And, and the need for a change and, um, is, is, is evident and yeah. people are open to consider this as, as a solution. And, and, and the third reason why I believe in the next five years, we're gonna see a different in environment is that once you have established a small ecosystem around hydrogen, the mm -hmm. scaling up is, is gonna be very simple because if you have, because once you have a concept established, you can almost modularly um, add up new, um, new capacity to that to that concept and and therefore i think we have a very strong pickup and i believe we need to have a very strong pickup according to our calculation um and we are a hydrogen focused company in 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 entirely so people can can be of different opinions but according to our calculation we would need about uh, 1300 gigawatt of hydrogen production by 2050 in case we're serious uh, for the decarbonization and this means that within every decade we have we would have to install about 400 gigawatt of, of electrolyzer capacity in europe only and this is a large amount and and i believe it's going to be challenging uh, to meet, and but it's it's doable, and yeah. It, 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 it's doable. We have to do it. We haven't got the luxury of time. Yes. Um, so sooner Absol rather than later. Absolutely, it's it's doable. But what is needed is that we need to have access to more green uh, electricity, to more renewables. But nobody is going to invest in the renewable space unless they can sell the electricity. And how hydrogen actually uh, enables electricity producer to invest in new wind farms mm -hmm. um, because it would need such a large amount of offtake of electricity that it can be a profitable investment for infrastructural investments. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, still with looking at the practicalities of the move to sustainable solutions, hydrogen still has a little bit of a bad press. It's perceived as a hazardous substance among the general public. Can you reassure my listeners about the current precautions that are being taken with its development, transportation and storage? Um, yes, in, indeed, some people are a bit worried about, about some aspects of hydrogen. Hydrogen is an energy carrier, and any, every energy carrier uh, obviously has, has the problem that this energy can unload mm. in, in, in a short term period of time and, and, and cause some damage. But to, to actually make people aware that 
that hydrogen is a very safe solution, I have to become a bit technical. And but people need to understand this. And I apologize for maybe using too many too many technical terms, but I will try to keep it as simple as as as, as I can. Hydrogen, as I pointed out, has a very high graphimetric energy density, meaning per kilogram, it covers a lot of energy, but it has a very low volumetric energy density, meaning if you have an, a norm cubic meter of hydrogen, it only contains about uh, of 89 grams of hydrogen. So because of this low volume energy, volumetric energy density, you need to compress hydrogen. And this can be compressed to 350, 500, or even 700 bar in, in, in the vehicles. So the, these are large pressures you, you have to deal with. Dealing with this pressure has its challenges, but there are clear protocols established on how to deal with high pressure vessels, uh, which which can be adhered and to and and which can make that technology safe. Now, to actually make hydrogen detonate, you need to have a certain um, combination of oxygen and hydrogen. And that combination is that you need to have more than 16% of hydrogen in that space, and you need to have more than 20% of oxygen oxygen in that space. Now, to give you an idea, if you take normal air, it usually consists to more than three quarters of, 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 of it needs to consist to more than three quarters of, of nitrate. And, and so, so the oxygen is usually barely more than 20%. In addition, because you're gonna store the hydrogen in large pressure tanks, those 20% of oxygen actually cannot go into the tank because the pressure is just, direction is just going the other way around. And because hydrogen is so light, it's the lightest atom in, in, in the atmosphere, it, it will disperse very quickly and, and you will not have a sufficient amount of hydrogen concentration under normal circumstances to actually lead to an explosion. So that's why hydrogen can actually be proven to be a much safer technologies for, for many applications than, than fossil fuels or traditional fuels are. Okay, um, right. Now, now this one we have talked about, but my listeners were not privy to this conversation and some of the good points um, you were making. So I'm going to ask it here for you to elaborate on. It's about the centralised versus the decentralised model for hydrogen production. What are the merits of either um, gas and electric provisions are centralised for obvious reasons. Currently, hydrogen is decentralised. So when the use of hydrogen becomes more abundant over the years, hopefully in the five years we talked about, should a centralized model be implemented? That's a very good question. And it's not that easy to answer that question because both, both models, you could go either uh, centralized or decentralized with hydrogen. The benefit having a centralized um, production site are obviously scaling um, benefits. You're going to have different sensibilities of those projects because they're going to be much more dependent on, on the electricity price. If you produce hydrogen decentralized, but on the other, uh, uh, if you produce hydrogen um, centralized, on the other side, if you produce hydrogen decentralized, you're going to be dependent on the grid. Okay. And and in my view, uh, the grid stability is something which is going to be very challenging to obtain mm -hmm. if you want to include additional renewables in, into the grid. Mm -hmm. So you might 
have some savings on the on the logistics on the transportation of hydrogen by using a decentralized um, production site but on the other hand you're going to be be depending on the grid stabilities there are geographically though situations where you can produce decentralized hydrogen uh, without access to the grid and this is what we're doing in switzerland because switzerland has has many smaller um, hydropower plants where you can actually get access to electricity behind the meter before before it goes into the grid so you don't um, so uh, you don't stress the grid in additional in in it so you don't st uh, stress the grid mm -hmm. um, in addition to to other users and that's a that's a very good solution to have the centralized um, hydrogen okay. production site in in Switzerland, but not necessarily so, so when you have um, large electricity production sites at yeah. at one single point. There, I believe it's it's more favorable to go large scale simply because it's going to have a cost benefit. Um, uh, let, just before we go to the the final question, let's continue just a little bit. Let's continue to talk about grid stability, because one of the things I had on mind, but um, let's, let, let me ask it. It's, it's about, you know, battery electric having its own challenges. And um, I want to talk about grid stability and power capacity. For this question, just look at battery electric. Yes, I know that hydrogen production can and often is done via the grid, um, as opposed to your preferred production method, which you talked about which, with, you know, with electricity from behind the meter. But let's concentrate on batteries only. Is there an underestimated problem here? With the increased strain on the grid for renewable energy what is what are the discussions in this space and then importantly what is being done proposed as solutions to this problem yes i believe it is a pro problem which actually people are not very fond of looking into because it's quite a complex problem um, few people understand the dynamics of of the grid mm -hmm. and if you use the grid extensively it can it can lead to disruptions and and most likely uh, the mindset of people will change once you actually have a, a blackout at one point in time, which might be common in, in, in certain areas of the world. But, uh, but uh, us Europeans, uh, we don't have fortunately ever had to make that experience to, to mm. a large, large ex extent. Uh, I want to give you some, um, uh, some numbers. Uh, so, so you see the so you see the background on, 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 on the questions around grid stabilities. Let's go for Germany. Germany uses an average um, 67 or 70 gigawatt of electricity capacity um, mm -hmm. in its normal day. And, and if you use that, and whenever you use electricity from the grid, it needs to be fed back into the grid, which is very simple if you have um, if you have uh, hydro plants. It's very simple if you have nuclear plants, uh, but it's less simple if you have um, renewable because renewable doesn't come um, at at a large bandwidth. Sometimes you have access to renewable, and sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. So in a grid, you always need to have, in the case of Germany, in average roughly 70 gigawatt of capacity feeding into the grid. Now, if you charge battery electric cars, um, those 70, uh, 70 gigawatt, they probably allow you to charge maybe half a million cars at the same time. Mm 
Now, Germany as such has somewhere between 40 and 50 million cars in total. So if you looked at half a million cars compared to, to that um, 40, 50 million cars, it's, it's a very small numbers that you can actually allow to, uh, to charge with the current available um, electricity mm. um, production side. So, so this just needs to be uh, considered going forward. Now, possible solution that's being promoted is sort of smart grid um, developments or solutions where you could actually use the car to provide grid stability. You, you plug in your, your car to get, get recharged and if electricity is available, and in case electricity is not available, it could source electricity from that battery electric vehicle and feed it back into grid in, to provide stability. Um, this is a concept which, which sounds um, very intuitive and very simple. I personally think it's, it's very difficult because you would, you would actually rely on, on, on personal batteries and the person who, who hooks up to that grid will have to face degradation of his battery for actually a, a, a service that he is not being rewarded for. Yes. So, so in, in, in practice, I see way more challenges um, than, than currently are being being discussed on. And, and I think we need to try as hard as possible not to be dependent on the grid. And also when you have a business model um, where you need a large amount of electricity, you, you're better off if you make this independent of, of the grid dynamics. Because what you're going to see going forward is that you're going to have different cost schemes on how you access the grid. You're going to have cost schemes which are very expensive but provide you with access to electricity whenever needed. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're also going to have schemes which are less expensive, um, but they could cut you off within a, a short or even a long term upfront notice on, on this. And what I mean is if you go into, if you then want to check your sensitivity of the business plan from the grid, um, you're going to create a lot of uncertainties. And those uncertainties are usually not liked by investors and make it then very difficult um, to, to find the, the right amount of, 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 of money to invest in, in, in your yeah. solution. And it's, it's, it's a very complex uh, problem. And, and so far, nobody has the solution. And, yeah. and, um, but it's definitely one which we need to uh, consider more going forward. As, as a final and general question, um, I'd be interested to, to know what new markets does green hydrogen or even grey, blue or turquoise hydrogen solutions open in Switzerland uh, and the wider world? First of all, the biggest um, growth I see actually by, by green hydrogen uh, not really making a new market, but by use, being used as, as an energy carrier for situations where it has not been used in the past, uh, mainly in industrial um, application, but also for the production of ammonia or, or in refineries. Um, this, you can replace gray hydrogen by green hydrogen, and that very much depends on the regulator, how he's going to charge gray hydrogen going forward, 
for such services. Um, on what I found a very appealing application for hydrogen is, is, is the heating solution. Because we talked about energy inefficiency of, of hydrogen, that you need more energy than you get out of it. And obviously, um, when you lose energy, it doesn't mean you're going to lose it, but it means that energy is being transformed to heat. And mm. I believe uh, hydrogen using in, in stationary applications in the house for heating system um, can reduce um, the loss of, of energy because you can, you can use the heat, which is being generated um, uh, for, for heating purposes. And at the same time, you can use electricity. We have um, had the pleasure to work on a, on a, on, on a house in, in Switzerland, which is completely off-grid and actually uses exactly that, that solution. But there, there are applications for the heating, which are meant to be coming out in 24 and 25 where actually you could install hydrogen heatings in a house which don't include a, a fuel cell. And I believe this is a, is a very efficient and a, um, very efficient and very beautiful solution to further scale up hydrogen. Patrick Huber, it's been an absolute pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much, Elaine. It was a pleasure being with you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.